0: Hello everybody, this is Kevin Witham and welcome to Season 3 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage we invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that Unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity podcast. Welcome to another Common Ground Unity podcast, another conversation uh, with today uh, two distinguished guests. Uh, I'm couldn't be more excited to introduce them in just a couple of moments. So want to say welcome and thank you for listening in. And Tina Bruner is uh, my co-host. We shared this uh, role together. Tina, where are you? What are you up to and how are you?
1: Yeah, everything is good. I'm in Poland, but headed back to the United States soon. So I'm looking forward to um, to a little less travel this summer. Um, but, yeah, everything is going really well, and I'm especially happy for this conversation. I have wanted to learn more personally from Dr. Taylor for quite a while, and Doug Foster, who's on the podcast, is the chairman of our board for Global Christian Connection. So I'm really happy for the strong representation that we have tonight on the podcast.
0: Amen. I, I, I couldn't be more excited uh, than I am about our conversation, because we're, our ministry, Common Grounds Unity, is about building bridges of unity, uh, w- which is at the heart of the prayer of Jesus in John 17. It's at the heart of the gospel, and our our guests today are in the trenches, both as scholars and as men who roll up their sleeves and are involved in the life of the church and the ministry of reconciliation. And, and when you Read about unity in Scripture, uh, it it has far more to do with bringing uh, people together uh, who are of different races and ethnicities and to seeing that we are one in Christ, brothers and sisters, children of God, more than it is often about all the issues that are a little more peripheral to the gospel. This is the heart of, of what the gospel does in the ministry of reconciliation. So I'm excited to introduce our guest to you today. Dr. Jerry Taylor is with us. He is the founding director of the Carl Spain Center at Abilene Christian University. He is the associate professor of Bible missions and ministry at ACU. He holds a bachelor of arts degree in Bible from Southwestern Christian College, a master of divinity, and a doctorate in ministry from the Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University. Dr. Taylor uh, previously served and ministered in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia. He travels extensively, speaking on college campuses, conferences, and retreats. He is the author of Courageous Compassion, and I, there's a longer name to that. I believe it is a, a prophetic homiletic in service of the church. If I remember right, I'd have to look it up on the shelf over here, but uh, he, he's he's an author He has also begun uh, various initiatives such as the New Wineskins Retreat, the National Freedom in Christ Conference, the Young Scholars Retreat, and then most recently the Racial Unity Leadership Summit and Spiritual Retreat. He and his wife Patricia have two adult children and they live in Abilene, Texas. So uh, Dr. Taylor is uh, our first guest. and we have, as uh, was mentioned a few moments ago, Dr. Douglas Foster is back with us. He is a good friend to Common Ground Unity. He's been on our podcast a number of times on a number of subjects. He is a professor emeritus of church history and director of the Center for Restoration Studies at Abilene Christian University. He's written and co-authored more books, articles, and papers than we can can mention here on the podcast. But some of those include the Encyclopedia of the Stone-Campbell Movement, the Stone-Campbell Movement, A Global History, Renewing Christian Unity, A Concise History of the Christian Church, Stone-Campbell History, and Racism in American Christianity. I I think I may have hyphenated that a little bit wrong, but his latest book, and we you can go back and listen to this podcast. Dean will mention the numbers in just a moment. His latest book is A Life of Alexander Campbell, and as I mentioned, we have a whole podcast or two devoted to that work. So uh, brothers, welcome to uh, the Common Grounds Unity podcast. We're glad to have each of you with us. How are both of you doing out there in Abilene?
2: Doing well. Thanks thanks for inviting us to be a part of this event, and uh, glad to be here with you and with my good friend Douglas Foster.
3: I'm in San Antonio now, so we don't get to see each other as often as, as we used to, but it's it's wonderful to be together now. That's
0: right. Well, so good to have both of you with us
1: well i'm excited to start this conversation um our audience is or should be well acquainted with uh doug foster um he's written for us at common grounds unity and he's been on podcast episodes number seven number eight 32 and 33 and i'm i'm just so excited for the heart that he has for unity in our movement, but even beyond that. And so I'm glad that people have had a chance to hear from him. And Dr. Taylor, we uh, are so excited to have you with us for the first time. And I wonder if you could share with us a little bit about your faith, your life journey, and um, just some things that might be interesting to the audience as they are, are learning about who you are and the amazing work that you're doing.
2: Okay. Um, As you all know that I am a preacher, and so I have to wrestle with the addiction of being long-winded, but (laughs) I'll try my best uh, to answer the question uh, concisely. Um, I was born in a little town uh, 36 miles north of Memphis uh, called Covington, Tennessee, a very rural community. All my life, I was a part of a little church there called the Hatchet Street Church of Christ. Uh, my grandfather, Floyd Drain, actually helped construct the church building with his own hands. Um, and I became a part of that faith community officially at the age of 12 um, when I was baptized by my uncle, A.C. Drain. Um, and then at the age of 13, uh, thanks to my uncle, uh, who uh, did not lead a song that I had uh, suggested and told me to lead it instead. Um, and I did and went straight to Flunkersville. Um, humiliated and embarrassed, I went to my seat, uh, but they kept putting me up to sing. And eventually became one of the song leaders of the congregation there. Um, then at the age of 13, I started working Um, on the farm with Mr. David Herbert Sigler, We called him Mr. Buck, a white southern uh, farmer uh, who created a job for me as a way of me making an income the honest way uh, during the months that I was out of school. My stepdad worked with him as a tractor driver. Uh, And so Mr. Buck uh, would let me drive the big trucks from field to field, even though I didn't have a license at the time, but out in the country, you know, he, he gave me a little more freedom than I probably should have had to operate the big equipment like that. Um, and so he would take me out to a field uh, that had what they call jimson weed that uh, could not be killed just by chopping it down at ground level. You had to actually pull it up at the root with your hands. And so he would put me in a big field um, out there by myself while the others were driving the tractors and plying the fields. I was out there pulling up jimson weed. And it was out there that I would uh, mimic the preachers that I heard on Sunday. I would uh, would, uh, preach and would get so loud, um, one day I completely lost my voice. Um, And so eventually I turned 14, and I said, well, Um, This worked well out here in the field, so maybe it'll work uh, before the congregation. (laughs) So at the age of 14, I I preached my first public sermon, uh, but the fire that I felt in the field disappeared uh, when I got behind the pulpit, and it was the shortest sermon that I have ever preached in all my life. Uh, about <laughs> 10 minutes long It's so <laughs> oh, just like my first song that I laid uh, my first sermon uh, it was a complete disaster so uh, but they kept letting me get up to preach and eventually uh, the fire struck one Sunday and it shocked me and the whole congregation and uh, we've been uh, at, at preaching ever since and so uh, and then uh, uh, went on to Southwestern Christian College uh, at the age of nineteen and uh, stayed there, and, and, and then went on to SMU and got my graduate degree. And so we are we are here today It's a much longer story than that. Hopefully, uh, it'll it'll be read in my next book that's coming out. Um, that I'm, I'm I'm really making good progress on that. So I'll I'll stop there and and um, let uh, the rest be heard in the book that's coming out hopefully real soon.
1: Well, I can't wait to read that. And I love love how you said, and the fire I felt in the field disappeared when I got in the pulpit. I wonder how many people (laughs) listening have had that experience. But you know, good for the church that they kept inviting you to use that gift. And uh, and what a blessing it is to all of us now. That's great.
2: Wow, thank you. Thank you. That's
0: how we used to develop people for ministry wasn't it jerry you started yes. young and you got up and you were able to fail and you were able to then flourish because of patient. That, that's my Absolutely. story too and i we need to be doing more of that yeah we need to be doing I, more of that
2: i, know I think things have become too polished yes it has it has yeah
0: listen we we uh we want to talk to you about the carl spain center because that's been a very important part of your work and doug foster's work in a recent year, so you guys can tag team on this question. Maybe we'll start out with you, Doug, and then uh, you, you guys just back and forth. However, you'd like to do that. But tell us about the Carl Spain Center, about its beginnings, its mission, its vision, how you both became involved, and maybe even for our listeners, a little bit about who Carl Spain was and his importance uh, to our our churches.
3: Well. I'll say something very briefly. This this is something that emerged out of the commitments and the the power of Jerry's commitment to the racial healing that has has been he's been part of for for many years. When Jerry came to ACU about what twenty something years ago, he and I immediately connected, and Jerry was already doing the kinds of things that the Spain Center now brings together in many ways, the kinds of uh, meetings, uh, training, workshops, spiritual development to meetings and gatherings, prayer meetings. This was already going on before the Spain Center itself came into existence as a separate entity. So I think I'll let Jerry just talk about his vision and how he was able to bring that Spain Spain Center as an institutional uh, presence on the campus at ACU into existence because it really came out of his vision and commitment.
2: Uh, thank you, Doug. Um, it all goes back to, um, I believe it was 1999 at the um, One in Christ conference that was called together by Dr. Royce Money on the campus of Abilene Christian. Um, he invited all the most prominent African-American ministers and churches of Christ to come to the campus uh, to meet with some of the prominent white Uh, ministers and uh, theologians on the campus there and I happened to be one that was invited as a younger version of Jerry Taylor. (laughs) I think I was still in my 30s at the time and that was my first uh, physical encounter with Douglas Foster. I'd always admired him at at a distance and uh, this was the first time that we actually stepped in the same physical space. I was somewhat under a little pressure from the elders of African-American Churches of Christ, older ministers, due to some theological um, struggling that I had at the time, issues that I was working through that did not uh, line up with the traditional teachings of African-American Churches of Christ uh, in terms of exclusion of people that were not identified with our fellowship, um, and trying to be honest to God and honest, uh, with my fellowship. Um, I began to raise those questions in the context of my local church, uh, that got out, um, and it got interpreted and misinterpreted. And, uh, then I was accused of actually denouncing the churches of Christ and having left the church of Christ, which was, uh, not true at all. Um, Some of the the ministers who were not supportive of my ministry saw that as an opportunity to smear me. And so I thank God for them because uh, they blessed me Um, and I wish they had added more fire because uh, it drove me uh, closer to the heart of the heart of God uh, and to really understand um, the power of persecution uh, and how it, 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 it pains us but yet it, it delivers us on the other side of the fire uh, to, to a state of, of greater strength and a state of greater humility. Um, and so having gone through that, um, at that particular conference, I remember thinking to myself, well, maybe one day I'll become a professor here. I don't know why that, why that thought hit me, but it did. Um, but out of that meeting grew an apology that, Royce Money made uh, to the African-American Churches of Christ gathered at Southwestern uh, for their for their lectureship. And I was there in that meeting, sitting in the audience, when Royce Money apologized on behalf of Abilene Christian for its past practices of racism and for excluding African-Americans on the, the basis of the skin color. And I'm sitting in the audience and I'm asking myself, how can Uh, one institution make an apology uh, and the other institution demonstrate forgiveness in response to that apology, it has to involve more than just an applause and a standing ovation. Uh, So how can we practice apology and forgiveness and walk in a state of repentance by both communities for engaging in a willing separatism. And so uh, a couple of years later in 2002, uh, Dr. Jack Reese called me and asked if I would come teach at ACU. And it was as if God was saying, okay, you asked a very good question. And now you're gonna get to uh, help give answer to that question. Uh, in a very practical way. Uh, so, will you accept this invitation uh, to go and teach at a university that you have grown up hearing uh, its racist practices? Are you willing to move your family into that environment uh, and trust in God in the process? And so I said yes. And so I started teaching there in 2003.
0: Hey, everybody, we'll be right back with the rest of this episode. We want to take a moment to thank Mission Alive and Central Christian College of the Bible for sponsoring this episode. Mission Alive equips leaders to start innovative communities of faith focused on transforming marginal communities. They provide church planning training, apprenticeships, consulting, and discipleship cohorts, among other resources. They can also train you to be a nationally accredited coach through Catalyze Coach Training. This 28-week credential will equip you to impact and transform your church, organization, leadership, and ministry. Learn how God can transform your life and ministry by going to missionalive.org. That's missionalive.org or emailing them at contact at And Central Christian College of the Bible has low-cost, innovative, and flexible master's programs in ministry, leadership, and preaching that they want you to know about. These two-year programs are designed to be one-third online, one-third on campus, and one-third supervised ministry by an expert in your interest area. The mentoring courses can offer credit in your local ministry. Graduates like Dr. Don Mahardi and Jonathan Curtis are impacting the kingdom in deeper, more meaningful ways because of their education at CCCB. So find out more at cccb.edu front slash graduate. That's cccb.edu front slash graduate.
2: And then in 2017, um, I got a call uh, to apply for the church in Atlanta, the Simpson Street Church of Christ. And I made my provost and dean aware of that. And so the provost, Encouraged me uh, to consider staying, and he looked back at my record that I had written um, in my faculty goals and saw that I wanted to start a center. I had written that in there and had always wanted to do that, and so he said, we'll support you in that if you're willing to stay. We'll fund the center uh, annually, and so I said, okay. Well, that's enough to make me stay at ACU and continue my work here, And then um, I thought, well, what will I call this center? Um, Then I I said, well, um, Carl Spain was the critical force (laughs) that turned the key, that opened the door, not only for African-Americans, but for so many other people of color to uh, enter ACU as an institution. And I thought it would be the best name to put on that center. Dr. Carl Spain, uh, because here here he was in 1960 at one of the most critical moments in America's history and stood in a crowd, um, mainly white people, if not all white people, and spoke a prophetic message uh, that, of course, uh, stirred the pot and got a lot of his speaking engagements canceled. Uh, But he was a prophetic voice that took a prophetic stance at a time when it was dangerous to do so. And I thought, here is a hero that has been buried and not celebrated during my tenure there. And so I thought this would be a way to resurrect that amazing, courageous uh, life story um, of Carl Spain. And, uh, And so that's why we named the center after Carl Spain.
1: Doug, what are some of the things that drew you to the center and its work? I know your friendship with Dr. Taylor, but what what compelled you to, to step into this hard work and and really be so committed um, to this?
3: Yeah, I think that's a, a fair question, but I think it's um, it's maybe, I'm not sure it's the right question. Um, In other words, just like Dr. Taylor had been working in these things uh, and doing things in an amazing way for many years before the actual foundation of the center as such, uh, I had been involved in, in finding out about, I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, but even before Jerry came to ACU, this had become a burden on my heart. And knowing of Jerry's work and being at that meeting that he mentioned in 1999, the one in Christ Meeting, and one other one that uh, happened later, um, this was this was part of a long trajectory. That, uh, having grown up in North Alabama, I was formed like all Americans are formed, but I was formed into a system that just assumed that uh, whatever was white was the norm, whatever whatever was white was the, uh, was the standard and whatever was white was superior to anything else and that that's what uh, should be there in place as far as the way we run things. And so, especially in the context of, of the church, seeing the radical separation, uh, experiencing that growing up in my hometown in North Alabama, as well as when I moved to Nashville to go to, to, to Lipscomb to university, and um, so, little by little, I think God's Spirit had been leading, prompting, teaching, uh, putting me into contact with people who who would show me how how evil that that idea was, even when it's accepted, even when it's not even noticed by most white people. That that's sort of the assumption that's always operating. Um, and so, when when Jerry came to ACU and we connected with one another, I think there was just a powerful impetus given to me to, to join him in the work that he was already doing. And that uh, the Carl Spain Center itself was one more manifestation of the work that Jerry and others were already doing, but that Jerry was sort of in the leadership of. And so I was just, uh, I was grateful to be able to, to do everything that I could in association with the Carl Spain center. Uh, but as we've said before, we were doing racial unity, leadership, summits, workshops, prayer retreats for a number of years before the center itself came into existence. And the center gave sort of a, a, of a central, gave a central place, I guess you could say, for people to contact, for, for us to make sure people knew about things that were going on. And that, um, that center and the website that it has, it has tons of uh, resources on it even now. I think um, I think that's that's sort of what the story is with me and the Carl Spain Center. I think it was just part of the evolution, so to speak, of, of how my work with, with Jerry and, and in this whole area of bringing about Christian unity across the boundaries, across the assumptions, again, sometimes not even realized assumptions, uh, that uh, that separate us and keep us apart. Yeah.
1: Well, our country is definitely divided on and polarized on so many things. And the issue of racial justice and, um, and divisions uh, along those lines are definitely among the things that are dividing us right now. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. And when uh, Breonna Taylor was killed, I saw firsthand how unprepared the church was to step into this conversation. And um, and so I, I'm so thankful for the resources that the Carl Spain Center does have um, that can help lead our churches at this time. But can you help us better understand the need for racial healing or awareness? You know, Doug, you mentioned like to even know that it's, things are not right, how can we see racial justice and the church in how it relates to the gospel? I don't even know what the right question in that is. Help me think of it the right way to ask that. This is a problem for lots of us uh, in the church or in ministry or as believers to try to just discern how to have this conversation.
3: I think that's right. Uh, I think that as a white person speaking to white people, um, I don't know, recently I taught a Sunday school class at the congregation where we're members now in San Antonio. And it was just a one Sunday class, and we were actually studying the Book of Acts, but we were talking about the inclusiveness of the nature of the early church. And um, and I made the contrast between not the 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 meta issues, the big overarching issues, but the specific issues between the situation that existed in the early church and the situation that exists now. Um, I mean, we're not we're not trying to keep Gentiles out. We're not trying to separate from Gentiles. We are Gentiles for the most part. So there's a mm-hmm. different situation. And yet some of those meta attitudes are still so present. But we talked some we talked about some things that were pretty pretty straightforward and pretty um, I don't know whether blunt is the right term or not, but there was the, the group that morning in the Sunday school class was, was a racially inclusive group. And one of, the, one of the men in the class, toward the end of the class, said, this is the first time in this predominantly white church that anybody has actually talked about these things in an open way. And this, this is a leader of the church. And there was a, a, another white couple that was sitting in front of him who loved him. And they turned around and they, they said, we're so sorry that this has never been able to be brought up. And he didn't feel like, as, as a black man, that he could bring it up because he would be accused by some people, in fact has been, of, uh, of playing the race card, so to speak, and sort of being the victim. So how do you how do you talk about these things and I think you just have to, to start with humility in the scripture uh, you know I just I have to defer to Jerry. Jerry goes into these contexts constantly every week practically, and talks to people and tries to get them to see what the heart of the gospel is.
2: Yeah I, I would say that God created humans. God created human beings and that's what we are. That's what we. That's what we were born to become, fully, and that potential gets hijacked by so many other definitions and uh, agendas. Uh, in terms of institutions and ideologies, telling us what we should be. Uh, and leaving us scrambling for the answer to who should we be um, the letters h u in front of in front of the word human is not that by accident and the letters h u there in, in front of the word humility and we cannot become fully human Until we become fully embracing of the practice of humility, Uh, humos, meaning of the earth, Uh, until we can recognize that regardless of how we have categorized ourselves as races or nationalities, we are all nothing but walking dirt. And until we can overcome our narcissistic addiction to proving that we are more than that, we will always find reasons to fight and to compete and to kill each other uh, for whatever reasons. Uh, The Hutus and the Tutsis, same skin color. The Ukrainians and the Russians, same skin color. So... um, Sometimes we fixate on the skin, but the greater issue, I think, has to do with people uh, wrestling with the question of what does it really mean to be human Um, and how can we become that together and embracing um, the humanity of the other human being. Uh, and therefore, we we begin to learn how to become more humane with one another. Unless we can accept our own humanity with humility, we will never develop the capacity to be humane towards each other. So, I think that's that's the challenge that we have. Uh, is God help us uh, to uh, rediscover? your heart's desire to become what you originally created us to be. That's human beings, not categories, not this group or that group, not this political party or that political party. And we can't even get to the bottom of what it means to be human because we're so uh, shackled and handcuffed uh, by all of the terminology (laughs) Uh, that keeps us divided and, and hating and at odds with each other based on other things that are everything but human beingness. So um, I guess that's where I would start, start with answering that question of our need to rediscover what God's original intent was for us to basically be human. And that sometimes can involve a creative laziness and a creative laziness means that uh, overcoming the need to prove that we are more than what we are, mm. uh, being in a, a rat race, uh, engaged in, in hustle and bustle, and we don't know how to be still and to be quiet and to do nothing but be something. And I think that's that's the that's the element of our day. And if, if the streets are noisy, you can rest assured that the sanctuaries and our churches have become overwhelmed and overtaken by the noise as well.
1: Mm, That's really powerful.
0: Well, Well, this has just been a great conversation that we don't want to bring to a conclusion here at this particular point. Um, so we'd we'd like to ask you both to come back and join us for our podcast for next week, where we can continue this conversation. And, uh, and so before we do that, though, you've got an event coming up uh, that is the Racial Healing of America Revival and Bus Tour uh, that begins July 9th and goes through July 17th. So before we get away from this podcast, could... Uh, could you, Jerry and, and Doug, tell us a little bit about that and how folks can get involved and engaged with that and what it's about?
2: Okay. Um, yes. Um, as we all know, we are in a very um, uncomfortable place as a country today in terms of uh, race relations and uh, political uh brawling in the streets almost in just so many ways that we're divided as a, as a country. Um, and when joints don't work together cohesively, uh, that's a sign that there's sickness in the body. And I think that uh, the American body politic, um, it, it tells us more about the people who support the politicians than the politicians themselves. And so I think um, when we look at uh, the political disorder, uh, it requires us to look at our own hearts uh, as the supporters of these various political leaders uh, and to see what it is that is in us that we're projecting onto them uh, that's further inflicting uh, the the unity and the social fabric of of America. Uh, We hear these angry voices over the radio uh, waves that uh, television waves, we hear um, it in our pulpits a lot of times in private conversations. And uh, people are seeing this bus being filled with negativity, and people are getting on it and riding down a hill. And uh, nobody is asking, How do we stop this bus? How do we at least slow it down? And so, the Racial Healing of America Revival and Bus Tour. It's just one simple way that we're trying to uh, step into the public domain and to say we know what we see on the news every day um, is making us emotionally sick uh, to hear all of the wrangling that's going back and forth. Where are the credible voices that are lifting up a healthier vision for what we can become? As a nation together, we know we are divided. We know we are split down the middle. But if you have a house that's falling apart, we don't want to just describe how the house is falling apart. We need some construction workers and some builders to get busy uh, trying to restore and trying to reconstruct. And so I think that's what we're we're hoping to do is to... Um, penetrate the public domain with credible voices that are saying that the Christ that we follow is not a violent Christ, uh, is not a racist Christ, is not an unforgiving Christ. The Christ that we follow is the Prince of Peace and would, would, would demand that we as his followers be uh, peacemakers. For uh, That is how we have our identity. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So, That's what we want to do. And we want to do this together, taking time, vacation time uh, to get our bodies together in the same vehicle, riding down the highway, uh, listening to some of the same content, maybe watching some documentaries on the bus uh, and then stopping after we leave Dallas, stopping in Memphis and having a a fellowship meal at the Holmes Road Church of Christ and then having a, a revival service. Uh, with powerful speakers and some singing, uh, and then get back on the bus the next day, going down to Birmingham, reflecting on what uh, we have experienced thus far along the way, um, and just building relationships as we're moving along. That's one of the problems: is that we can't talk together because we don't spend time together. And uh, how can how can you get to know my inner space if we don't ever take time sharing? physical space together and so uh, riding together worshiping together praying together eating together staying at the same hotel together uh, just all this togetherness will hopefully send a positive message of just a little ripple effect and a great big pond uh, that will uh, add some positivity to this great big pond of negativity. And I don't know what God will do with it. We just want to be faithful for the little bit that he has put on our hearts to do, and he controls the outcome. All we need to do is to be able to go to sleep at night and say, we did what you asked us to do, and, and we're okay uh, with however way this turns out. Uh, So that's what we're doing. You can get more information about it at carlspaincenter.org. Registration information is there on that website. And we'd love for for people to join us. And those who can't be with us physically, uh, we ask that you pray. Pray like you've never prayed before, because this is not by might, not by power, but my spirit, saith the Lord. And uh, that's the only one that we can really turn to now to uh, to help us to deal with America's spiritual crisis, because I think that's where, what we're in, what we're facing now is a very serious spiritual crisis.
0: So the org, that's a great website. You can get more information there about the Racial Healing of America Revival and Bus Tour. What, what a great experience that will be for those who... Uh, who participate in that. Um, boy, I, uh, I I eagerly anticipate hearing about that and uh, would love to be able to be a part of that myself. So uh, just praying for good things to come from that. And if you'd like to participate again, you can go to the carlspaincenter.org. Doug, you've got something to share there as well.
3: Just one other item. I think it's going to be powerfully transformative to those who are on the tour itself. But along the way, at each stop, the group of people that were on the tour will be having interaction with people in localities, uh, both in churches and in other contexts. For example, when we're in Charleston, South Carolina, we'll be some of the first visitors to the new International African American uh, Museum, and uh, they're going to have media events connected with that, and when we're in Washington, D.C., we'll be having a prayer service on the grounds of the Capitol building. And uh, so it will be something that we pray, like some of the the tours that some others are taking on another side of this issue that are uh, producing more polarization and hatred, we hope this will be a witness to something that is the opposite, that bringing people together and reflecting the love of Christ.
0: Wonderful. Well, it- as, as you said, uh, Jerry, you know, this is, this is about the spirit being at work. This isn't something that uh, human strength and human ability can strategize a solution to. The, the, God has brought the solution in Christ. Uh, he's done the yes, reconciling yes. work. Now, we, we need to get on board and, and work towards maintaining what the Holy Spirit's already produced. Uh, so we, we can't thank you both enough. We need to end this conversation here, but we're excited you're going to come back and we're going to continue it on our uh, our next podcast. Uh, so thank you for being our guests and look forward to being back with you again uh, next week. Tina, uh, will you sign us off? You're in Poland and it just seems uh, appropriate that as you're kind of coming to a, a night's end there and yet you're getting ready to go again with us, right? Uh, that maybe you sign us yeah, off. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Well, we thank all of our listeners for being with us. And uh, between now and the next podcast, we hope that you'll get together with someone uh, from even the same stream of our movement or outside the stream and and just get a cup of coffee together and be in relationship with one another. And we will see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Please check out org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help. By donating to this Ministry of Reconciliation, your donation is tax-deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless, and remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.